You're going to love this. Just love it. Love you, Gene. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yes, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, And yes, you heard at the the top of the show, uh, Gene Wilder is dead at 83. He, of course, is uh, that voice that you hear quite frequently uh, at the top of our show. You're going to love this. Just love it. That was uh, Wilder in uh, in the great Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original one. One of the greatest children's movie ever, movies ever, ever produced. Indeed, one of the scariest, at least it was for me (laughs) when I was a kid. We'll have more on, uh, on on Gene Wilder hopefully a little bit later in the program. Uh, sorry to see him pass, that's for sure. Um, let's see, got a lot of ground we need to try to get to today. Let me start it off this way, going to polls and polling. We haven't covered the, the, the polls lately. Uh, Hillary Clinton has been in the lead uh, in many of them, both nationally and in swing states. Uh, but hey, here's some news from the morning consult today. Donald Trump trails Democratic rival Hillary Clinton by only three percentage points in a new national poll from Morning Consult, shrinking a deficit that had alarmed GOP operatives who fear their unconventional nominee may harm the prospects of other Republican candidates on the ballot this fall. This survey was taken uh, last week, August 24 through August 26, and Trump cut in half the six-point distance between himself and Hillary Clinton from the previous week's polls. Poll, in this case. Uh, so in this most recent head-to-head matchup, it's... Um, 43 to 40 Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. That is just three points with still 17 percent saying they don't know yet or they have no opinion in this uh, in that particular matchup. Morning consult notes that uh, the race has not been this close since late July. Uh, while the uh, the uh, the conventions, the political conventions were still underway at that point, the morning morning consult uh, showed 
Clinton with a three-point lead over Donald Trump. Now it's back to just three points. Uh, that comes after Clinton has been uh, after gave a, a direct attack last week on Donald Trump for his uh, racist rhetoric. And uh, as the GOP nominee has been trying to woo black and Hispanic voters, apparently that hasn't worked out very well. The numbers are still not looking good for uh, for Trump in, in the um, Hispanic and African-American communities. But it seems to be shoring up at least some of uh, his uh, worried white supporters. So uh, there's that going on. And, of course, Hillary Clinton has been facing questions about her ties to the Clinton Foundation and some terrible, frankly, terrible reporting from the Associated Press last week about uh, her ties in that foundation and everything else. Uh, if you uh, add the uh, uh, two, uh, the other candidates, the uh, some of the uh, the libertarian uh, candidate, Gary Johnson and Green Party candidate Jill Stein uh, into the question, then Clinton leads by just two points nationally. And again, that's just nationally. That's one poll. But a number of polls are uh, showing a similar tightening across the country and specifically in some of the states. And we'll be talking about some of those states in particular uh, coming up in the next block with uh, Ernie Canning. As these uh, laws go back and forth and back and forth, these laws to try to restrict voting around the country being put in place by Republicans. Uh, the laws are being overturned, then restored, then overturned, then restored. So we'll, we'll get a summary, an update for where we are in a number of the key states where, where we have seen that battle. But uh, that fight, the fight for access to voting, is going to be obviously key this year. Uh, in a lot of these battleground states, uh, but also uh, as we have been reporting over the past few weeks, and I always have to add over the past many years, almost a decade, um, the the fight to make sure that votes are actually counted at all and correctly on our voting systems and in a way that we know they can be counted correctly, that continues to be a fight that the mainstream media is finally beginning to understand. And today, the latest news is this breaking report from Michael Isakoff, investigative journalist, chief investigative correspondent at Yahoo News, reporting today that the FBI has uncovered evidence that foreign hackers penetrated two state election databases in recent weeks, prompting the bureau to warn election officials across the country to take new steps to enhance the security of their computer systems. Uh, this is according to um, federal and state law enforcement officials. The FBI warning contained in a flash alert from the FBI's cyber division, a copy of which was obtained and published by Yahoo News, comes amid heightened concerns among U.S. intelligence officials about the possibility of cyber intrusions potentially by Russian state-sponsored hackers aimed at disrupting the November elections. We've been talking, uh, and uh, now Isakoff is reporting about Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson and the conference call that he held uh, a week or so ago offering the department's help to various election uh, uh, county and state voting systems around the country. Um, has said that, uh, has warned that there is um, no specific or credible cybersecurity threat. However, 
noting that voting systems are vulnerable and that they believe it's uh, serious and that they are investigating uh, following on the hack of the uh, DNC email hack uh, several months ago now at this point. And the FBI has put out this flash warning, um, which which reads, uh, we need your help. If you find any of these indicators on your networks or have related information, please contact FBI Psywatch immediately. It adds note by reporting any related information to FBI Psywatch, you are assisting in sharing information that allows the FBI to track malicious actors and coordinate with private industry and the U.S. government to prevent future intrusions and attacks. It says uh, this FBI flash, this scary flash, uh, says that this information in this product is uh, only for members of their own organization and those with direct need to know. This information is not to be forwarded on beyond need to know recipients. And yet it has been um, with the headline targeting activity against state board of elections systems. And it highlights a couple of IP addresses. Uh, that they have uh, additional IP addresses that they have uh, found that were uh, apparently uh, trying to uh, get database to vo- uh, access to databases, voter registration databases in Arizona and Illinois, and that's uh, saying that they were targeted. Uh, For a number of days in late July, that hackers managed to download some personal data on some 200,000 state voters in uh, in Illinois. I believe this is. Yeah. In Illinois, the Arizona attack was more limited, involving malicious software that was introduced into its voter registration system, but no successful exfiltration of data. That means basically taking, stealing data um, was identified yet by state officials. But. Uh, This is a chief intelligence officer for Threat Connect, a cybersecurity firm who reviewed the FBI alert at the request of Yahoo News, said this is a big deal. Two state election boards have been popped and data has been taken. This certainly should be concerning to the common American voter. Uh, So a lot more details in that report at Yahoo News. And... um, you know, there is some focus on the belief uh, that, you know, that these hacks are coming from Russia. If you read through the article later on, you find out that they don't actually know that they haven't confirmed that it's coming from Russia. Uh, you know, Democrats have sort of been focusing on Russia a lot. And OK, that's all well and good and that's fine. But to me, the bigger concern is that we've got systems that are vulnerable like this at all, that we've come to rely on systems uh, that can be manipulated. And not only from Russia, not only from other perceived adversaries out there, whether it's you know China, Iran, North Korea, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, um, but it can be accessed even by insiders who can wreak havoc on the system because... We sort of have security by obscurity. If you hide it enough, if you you know try to keep people from getting access, then everything will work out. Well, look, the, the FBI couldn't even keep this uh, security bulletin uh, a secret. They couldn't even keep that from getting out. Uh, that has now been published, and uh, and we'll link to it at uh, at bradblog.com. Uh, the FBI, uh, the uh, Yahoo News puts it out. 
You can't keep a system secure by secrecy. The only way you can keep a system like this secure is by oversight and by public oversight, by citizens being able to oversee the system. So being able to oversee their own uh, registration systems uh, on Election Day, not counting on electronic poll books. You know, we've had uh, Andrew Appel uh, and other uh, who, who hacked into uh, voting systems in the past. Um, and other cybersecurity experts on this show uh, saying, hey, yeah, you know, these places, we saw this in Florida, I believe it was, back in 2014 and in North Carolina this year, where the e-poll books, these electronic poll books go down and they don't have paper backups for the voter registration systems. I've also talked to folks at the DNC who contacted me after the DNC email hacks because they were very concerned about the vulnerabilities of these voting systems. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it needs to be said that any of these systems are vulnerable, whether it's from outside hackers from wherever, pick whichever country you want, or inside election officials who have essentially round-the-clock access to these systems and can do whatever they want with the systems. Unless we can oversee the systems, not the cyber systems, but unless we can oversee the paper ballots and the way those paper ballots are counted, anything can happen. And uh, Isakoff talks about that in his report. As a matter of fact, he uh, he, he quotes uh, Andrew Appel from Princeton University, who we had on this program last week. Was that last week, Desi Dolan? Yeah, that was last week. Oh, man. It seems like forever ago. Hi, Desi. Hi. I don't think I said hi. Did I? No. no okay. Hi, that's our producer, Desi Doyen. All right. Um, so, you know, yeah, they, they quote from uh, Andrew Appel saying, yeah, if it's not on paper, then you can't oversee it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And we've got a lot of states who still use these touchscreen voting systems. Um, uh, you know, a lot of key states who still use these touchscreen voting systems, which are 100 percent unverifiable. And I'm happy to, uh, to see here that uh, Isakoff understands that even on the paper ballot systems that we use around the country, those are counted by computers. Either correctly or incorrectly, who knows, but at least unless we bother to count the paper uh, and count it publicly in a way that everyone could know that it's been counted accurately, then we're not going to know. Then the results are going to come out on election night, not just for the presidential race, but for all of the other races up and down the ballot for the Senate, for the House, for state and local races. Uh, and we are simply going to have to trust, trust in the election officials that they haven't made a mistake, that they haven't gamed the system. That uh, the country of your choice, Russia, China, Iran, Germany, Israel, whoever you want, that they haven't in some way manipulated these systems. What the hell kind of a way is this to run what is supposed to be the world's greatest representative democracy? Not so great after all. And by the way, speaking of not great, our... Uh, <laughs> Our media, our mainstream corporate media. Uh, glad Michael uh, uh, Isakoff at Yahoo News is now on this. Where the hell's he been for the last decade on this story? There is nothing, nothing in his report that we didn't know about, that we haven't been reporting, that we haven't been warning about for more than a decade at bradblog.com and here on the Bradcast. And they do this every year, every election year, just before the election, right before it's too damn late to do anything about it. That's when they start uh, firing off these flares and these warnings. And in this case, an actual FBI flash. 
Hand count the paper ballots on election night if they're where they do exist. Uh, hand count them on election night at the polling place in front of the public, in front of all parties, in front of all video cameras. And report those results at each precinct before those ballots are sent anywhere. That's our only chance at this point. And uh, basically, it's too late to do that for November. But we have to start talking about that. Uh, democracy advocates have to start talking about that. Having a paper trail that we can maybe, maybe go back to and count later. No, that is not good enough. That is not good enough for democracy. Speaking of democracy, the fight to vote is the other element of this, uh, to have the vote counted and uh, to be able to cast a vote at all. We will talk about that next and that latest fight as it's playing out all over the country in state after state. We'll talk about that next with Ernie Canning. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. What is known? evidence is clear I'm not alone there are thousands of us here this is my democracy yes it is you won't go telling me you won't my vote don't matter anymore indeed fighting for your vote your right to vote your right to vote to have that vote counted counted accurately and counted in a way that you can know it has been counted accurately. No easy feat, as uh, as I noted at the uh, at the top of the show here, and what's going on with the uh, type of electoral uh, electronic voting systems that we use across this country. So uh, that's the question about whether the results will be uh, uh, correct, whether we can know they can be correct. A lot can happen uh, with these machines. And I got to tell you, I know there's a lot of Democrats out there feeling pretty good right now facing Donald Trump, thinking they're doing real well in the polls. Well, between, uh, you know, keeping in mind what we talked about in that last segment and the vulnerability of our voting systems, keeping that in mind, along with the Republicans' continued attempt to keep people from being able to vote at all, certain people, certain people that tend to vote for uh, Democrats. Uh, you know, I, I think anyone who is uh, who is resting easy at this point about uh, any Democrats in any event who are resting easy about uh, their candidate running away with this thing may not be paying close attention to everything they need to be paying attention to. Even in the polls, by the way, which I know that uh, Clinton has been doing well nationally, those polls, however, are beginning to tighten, as well are the state-by-state polls. Now, uh, one example is in Wisconsin, where Hillary Clinton has been leading by, uh, you know, anywhere from 7 to 12 points in a whole bunch of polls over the last several months. Well, there's a new poll out, came out late last week from Ipsos, showing Donald Trump in the lead in Wisconsin by three points. 
in the state of Wisconsin. Now, that's just one poll. It could be an outlier. They're actually working with the uh, with Breitbart News on that poll. So I'd be very dubious about it. Uh, Breitbart News, of course, uh, from where Donald Trump found his new campaign <laughs> CEO, who we spent a great deal of time talking about last week, as he happens to be uh uh, a guy who lives in, um, well, lives everywhere but the state of Florida, it seems, where he's actually registered to vote. So it seems he has committed uh, some form of voter registration fraud, which Ernie Canning wrote about at bradblog.com uh, over the weekend following on our program uh, last week about that and about the amazing number of Republicans, top tier, top profile Republicans from Mitt Romney to Ann Coulter, who have committed that same type of fraud, even while they're out there pretending that Democrats are committing massive voter fraud. And uh, in that bargain, as Republicans are trying to make that case, they're trying to make it harder for certain people to vote specifically uh, Democratic-leaning voters from being able to vote. And the fight over voting right is continuing now in state after state. It, I suspect it will continue right up uh, you know, until Election Day, particularly since the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act that would have blocked a lot of these laws in advance. Uh, they gutted a key part of that Voting Rights Act back in 2013. So now we got Republicans all over the country still trying to pass new restrictions on voting. Uh, a, a ruling from the Seventh Circuit Court on uh, uh, late last week, on Friday, in fact, uh, is, is a kind of disturbing. This is a fight in Wisconsin that has gone back and forth and back and forth concerning photo ID voting restrictions. And at Bradblog.com, Ernest Canning writes today, despite uh, being found a violation of the Federal Voting Rights Act by multiple federal courts reviewing several challenges to Wisconsin's Republican-enacted photo ID voting restriction, the law will stay in place this November as per a new federal court ruling issued on Friday. The court's reasoning is based on an assurance from the state of Wisconsin that free photo IDs will be made more readily available and easier to obtain than they have been in the past. Late last week, by way of a unanimous decision, the full U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeal denied competing appeals and cross appeals filed in the two cases challenging Wisconsin's restrictive voting law. Here to talk about that case in Wisconsin, as well as uh, run through an update here, really, in uh, of, of the fight over voting rights in Texas, North Carolina, Ohio, Kansas, and maybe more, is our old friend Ernest A. Canning. He's the long-serving legal analyst at Bradblog.com, a retired attorney, author, Vietnam vet. And now uh, that he's back from a bit of a hiatus while he was, uh, at least hiatus at Bradblog, while he was working as a senior advisor to veterans for Bernie, uh, during the primary, now he's been trying to keep us up to date on all of the last minute back and forth court rulings that are set to have perhaps as much of an effect on the outcome of this November's election as anything else. And keeping up has not been easy uh, with all of these rulings that have come in over the past week. Ernie Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. 
How you doing, Brad? Oh, I'm, I'm hanging in there. It is really difficult keeping track of this as we uh, uh, get to the final days here before the election. So I just want to kind of run through as many states as we possibly can, get an update on where these various long-running court battles currently are right now. I'm going to start, I want to start specifically with that ruling late last week out of Wisconsin. Uh, but first, Ernie, I, because I think this is important to all of these cases, We've talked about it on the show before, but explain what is the Purcell principle? And I ask because I know that the Supreme Court, uh, that that's a Supreme Court principle that may be a determining factor in a bunch of these long running voting rights disputes across a whole bunch of states. Uh, So tell me exactly what that Purcell principle actually is. Ernie Canning. Well, it's a basically an equitable concept that has been developed by the Supreme Court over the past several years in which they've ruled that they don't want to see courts ordering 11th hour changes in uh, election systems because of the risk of confusion at the polls mm-hmm. and basically that uh, that people would be uncertain as to what they're supposed to do and can do and that states uh, have adequate time to put in changes into the law so that's that's the basic reasoning behind it uh it can work uh, both ways, but uh, it's most troubling because it seems to me that in some cases, mm-hmm. as occurred in Texas uh, in 2014, uh, where about more than 608,000 people were probably disenfranchised by its photo ID law, that uh, because the injunctions came in too close, even though it was found in that particular case by the district court to be uh, deliberately discriminatory, they um, basically stayed the injunction, and that meant uh, uh, to prevent uh, possible confusion at, at the polls, they disenfranchised more than 600,000 people. So basically, the, uh, the federal court in Texas found that uh, the uh, Texas Republicans' photo ID restriction law back then, we're talking now several years ago, back in, uh, as, you, as you know, 2014, found that it was a discriminatory law. The appellate court did not necessarily disagree with that. And yet the Supreme Court said, hey, all of this has now come too late before the election to change the rules. So we're going to keep this discriminatory law in place for the 2014 election uh, and, and revisit it afterwards because Purcell principle, right? Is, is exactly. That that's that's exactly what happened. And in other cases, you had, uh, you know, in Wisconsin, I think it was, uh, where the law was uh, found to be, uh, well, at the time, they said, yes, the Wisconsin law can move forward. Uh, as I recall, the Supreme Court said, no, no, you can't put it in place now. It's too close to the election uh, to do that. So in that case, the Purcell principle kept that law from being put in place. Do I remember yeah, that correctly? There, there was a preliminary injunction that was issued in 2012, and that was still in effect at the time the case came before the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court in Wisconsin basically said, uh, you can't impose your photo ID laws for this election. Things changed after that, mm-hmm. but that was where it was at that time. Okay, so it it does it works uh, both ways for good or bad. Uh, although I got to tell you, I'm troubled by the idea that uh, they would say that. Yeah, well, we know in a case like Texas, some uh, six hundred thousand legally registered voters may not be able to uh, take part in the election because of this law. But hey, it's too late to change it at the last minute. That's a troubling idea for me. But let's uh, see how this uh, comes into play because I think. Uh, 
with these laws going back and forth and back and forth, you know, as they're working their way through the court and they're being appealed and overturned and then restored, it almost feels like musical chairs. You know, whatever the last uh, ruling is to make it before the Supreme Court uh, finally decides, okay, that's it, the cutoff time, it's too late to change the law. Whatever that decision is, whether it's the right one or the wrong one, it seems like that's what stays in place. And Wisconsin is really a perfect example of that. Uh, Wisconsin, this law over photo ID restrictions has gone back and forth and back and forth. It has been found to be discriminatory time and time again in the, uh, 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 the district courts in Wisconsin. Um, and now we've got this uh, this late ruling from the uh, I guess the the Seventh Circuit. Yeah. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals that says this photo ID law will stay in place now, despite being found uh, discriminatory. It will stay in place this November because why the state has assured the court that they're going to make it easier to give out photo IDs. Really? Well, they basically said that now this this came down after um the plaintiffs had sought an emergency hearing to basically toss out a photo id altogether and they had to go back to it's a rather mm-hmm. protracted story but they had to go back uh, to the full uh seventh circuit to get that ruling and uh when they filed that emergency petition with them suddenly uh wisconsin has done something I've seen Republican legislatures, they'll come up with some proposal mm-hmm. to say, well, it's no longer an emergency because, and in this case, they said, well, we adopted a new rule that uh, if somebody applies for the free ID process, even if they don't have all the documents, uh, the Depart- Division of Motor Vehicles is going to mail automatically free IDs, uh, temporary IDs, so that they can vote in the November election. So that was... That's basically they came up from the uh, uh, from the state mm-hmm. only after the petitioners had brought this emergency petition to the full Seventh Circuit. So all of a sudden the state said, uh, hey, don't worry about it. All you got to do is walk into a DMV office, say, I need a, a photo ID. We will send you one. You don't even have to have the papers to back it up. I mean, doesn't this sort of, in one regard, presuming that tens or hundreds of thousands of of, uh, of voters who, by the way, you know, don't drive, they don't have a driver's license. That's why they need to get this photo ID. First, they have to figure out how to get to the DMV. Um, so you got to presume that they're going to get to the DMV, and then the DMV is going to send them an ID. Doesn't this sort of... What's the point of the ID at that point at all? I mean, this seems crazy, Ernie. Well, the the problem I have is with some of the language that said uh, that, um, and what the court's assuming is that it said unless it's uh, unless it's obvious the person is not entitled to be voting. Well, um, the concern I have is that they're going to start uh, finding all kinds of excuses of saying, well, in this case, it's obvious that he's not. Uh, qualified or she's not qualified, and even though they don't, you know, they they come in and they don't have the documents, uh, they're going to uh, uh, arbitrarily deny the request. And what the court said was, well, you know, Judge Peterson's going to be able to uh, 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 enforce his injunction that he'd issued in this case. Uh, uh, it, well, 
that's great if you're talking about, you know, maybe 30 people that, that are at stake, but we're talking about 300,000 people, and if they start doing this on a case-by-case basis of arbitrarily denying these uh, so-called free IDs, it's going to be all... You know, totally impractical for a judge to try and hear all of these cases. You know, the facts in each case, it's just impossible for any one judge to handle that. Uh, yeah. so, so I'm concerned that it depends on how, if, if the state really did what they said they were going to do, maybe so. But if they don't, then there's going to be big problems and potentially up to, you know, 9 or 10 percent of the, of the Wisconsin electorate uh, being disenfranchised in the next election. You talked about the percentages both, you know, for Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. You also have a Senate seat at stake. And uh, uh, I believe the last time I saw a poll that uh, 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 Russ Feingold is uh, is, uh, ahead of the incumbent by 9%, but that's just about the amount that would be disenfranchised Mm -hmm. if all of these people that don't have the IDs were... Sure, and not to mention, uh, you know, state and local races, ballot initiatives, you know, initiatives that will be on the ballot. That is all up for, uh, you know, for grabs this November. And this idea that I've heard from some people that, well, this will take care of most of the people. I'll tell you, Ernie, it really ticks me off when anyone, any, I don't give a damn if it's one person. If they have their voting rights taken away from them, one person, ten, a hundred uh, a thousand, uh, you know, this is a troubling ruling for me. And I guess we are up at the point, that musical chairs point where the music stops and it's the Purcell principle. And now if we, we can't change anything, it's too late in the game. This is where this is now going to be in Wisconsin this November, it sounds like, correct? Well, it, it is, except the one thing I think that knowing that it's, this is, uh, and Rick Hassan uh, made an opinion on this that I agree with, that you see Irvine going to uh, be any more further court order changes in Wisconsin between now and November. That being the case, I think everyone who doesn't have the ID, uh, the re- requisite photo ID, and all of the groups, ACLU and all the, the, the election mm-hmm. integrity and, 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 and the part, particularly the Democratic Party, they've get out the vote people need to aid these people to find ways to help them get to the DMV and immediately now and start making applications for this initial relief oh. and, and, and uh, do whatever they can to try and qualify them to, well, to their right to vote. Sure, I mean, of course, that's what they need to do, Ernie. But, you know, they also need to do uh, get out the vote. They need to make sure people can get to the polls. Now you've got to add to it, oh, you know, help people get to the DMV so they can walk in and say, hey, send me a driver, a, a, a photo ID, please. I mean, I think it's it, it's crazy. But I think that's where we're going to be. You mentioned Rick Hassan. He's a UC Irvine uh, election law professor. <clears throat> he seems to suggest, well, this is it because of Purcell. This is likely it. This is likely going to be where we are in Wisconsin. So, hey, if you're in Wisconsin, uh, guys, uh, make sure you have the uh, the type of photo ID that is now needed this week uh, to, to cast a, a vote at all in the state of Wisconsin. All right, Ernie, let me uh, we got stuck in Wisconsin there a little bit. Let me see if we can fly through a couple of these states. Uh, Texas. We have better news, and the news there in Texas and in North Carolina, we'll get to in a minute, seems to be in stark contrast from Wisconsin. At least in Texas, uh, people can now, if they don't have the type of photo ID that is now required by Texas, even though it was found to be discriminatory, if they don't have that type of ID, they can still vote by signing an affidavit saying they are who they uh, say they are? 
Right, and that it's inconvenient for them to try and get the the photo ID. So that that that's on the affidavit. The affidavit was uh, actually prepared. The language of it was prepared by the parties representing the plaintiffs. So they've they've got a real good quarter-proof stipulation that really is going to protect people for this election. So the the six hundred eight thousand that were uh, disenfranchised in 2014, and frankly, also in this year's primaries, are going to finally be able to uh, to vote. And the, the critical thing in Texas, and the reason Republicans are so were so desperate about their photo ID, is the demographic changes are such that uh, whites are going to end up eventually in the minority, and that is the base of the Republican Party. So, red Texas could soon be blue. Uh, mm-hmm. Texas, uh, uh, if uh, everybody is allowed to vote, and uh, this affidavit, I, uh, it's not just by the way inconvenience. If they if they've tried, basically all they have to do is say that they have tried to get a photo ID. Uh, and one of the stipulations, as I recall, in this in this remedy that was ordered by the court after the law was found to have a discriminatory effect against minority voters, was that it cannot be challenged. Right, that you can't have people at the polls challenging, hey, uh, you didn't even try to get a photo ID. If they sign that declaration, they are allowed to vote, and uh, and that is that for now. That's correct? it, and it does, they don't have to show that they made prior efforts, by the way. It's just that they all they have to do is say that, 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 it's, that it's inconvenient for them. And Texas okay. is not too hard, particularly in some of these rural counties where people have to travel um, uh, up to 200 miles round trip to the nearest uh, uh, motor vehicles department to, to get one of these uh, photo IDs, uh, uh, particularly if you don't have a driver's license and no car. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, start your walkers. Uh, the Okay, so Texas, it's looking a little bit more encouraging, at least as far as people being able to cast their vote at all. Uh, more encouraging, I would say, than Wisconsin. And that law, uh, that remedy, I should say, uh, for now, that will stay in place not just because of the Purcell principle, but because uh, the, the the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, as well as the state of Texas and now the federal courts, have all agreed to this remedy for now. It might be revisited after the election, but this is in place for now, correct? Yeah, well, what okay. they're revisiting after the election, unless uh, uh, this the Supreme Court in the unlikely event were to mm-hmm. uh, grant uh, a, a petition for cert and overturn what was a ruling by the most conservative uh, uh, circuit court of appeals. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's still going to be visited is that uh, the plaintiffs are still pushing to have a determination by the uh, district court that the photo ID law was racially motivated, in which case they would strike it down altogether, and you wouldn't have to worry about these affidavits anymore. Mm. It would simply be unconstitutional. Because right now, what that, you mentioned the most conservative court in the land, the Fifth Circuit uh, U.S. Appellate Court, one of the most uh, conservative courts, they have agreed, essentially, that the law had a discriminatory effect. But the open question is, did it have a discriminatory purpose? In other words, it hasn't been established yet whether Republicans purposely did this uh, in order to disenfranchise uh, minority voters. Whereas in North Carolina, 
the Fourth Circuit Court has found exactly Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals has found exactly that that uh, this uh, massive uh, election uh, voting restriction law for not just photo ID but uh, early voting uh, registration a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, that was found by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals to have, quote, targeted African-Americans with nearly surgical precision. Uh, and so that law was st- essentially struck down. But now North Carolina and its Republican governor, Pat McCrory, who is in a, his own reelection fight uh, this November, uh, a, t- a tough fight, I should add, uh, this November, uh, they, they've announced they will ask the U.S. Supreme Court to review that decision or, or have they already done so, Ernie? Well, they've asked for the review, but the more important thing is they've asked for a stay of the decision, citing Purcell. Um, they, they, their request of the stay was summarily disposed of by the Fourth Circuit, saying, "Hey, you told us during oral argument that you had, you could at the time you could comply with any order we issue as long as we issue it before the end of July. We did that, and now you're coming back and saying you can't comply." Um, the Solicitor General has filed a brief in the Supreme Court responding mm-hmm. to this latest request, and, this, and he not only pointed that out, but he was deeply troubled that they didn't even mention the fact that they had made that previous uh, representation <laughs> to the Fourth Circuit and that the Fourth Circuit relied on it. And uh, they pointed out one other, the, the, uh, the Solicitor General pointed out another uh, uh, interesting thing is that the state is already well on its way of implementing the court's order. So they said that Purcell actually works against them because if the court were to intervene now and issue the stay, it would be the stay that would uh, upend the expectations and <laughs> sow confusion among the uh, voters Jeez. and poll workers. Ex- so, <laughs> So it's working against them rather than for them. Uh, w- wow, what a mess. And I suspect uh, that's not going to go over well with the U.S. Supreme Court. I think uh, voters, at least in regard to this uh, statewide law, the worst since the Jim Crow era, as the Fourth Circuit described it, uh, I think that will stay uh, struck down, uh, although uh, there's, there's now going to be a county-by-county county fight for uh, for voting rights, early voting. That is ongoing now, the, the well, length of early voting. Because, yeah. because the counties, what they're doing is they're coming back and saying, well, okay, they said uh, we have to have so many days of... Uh, of uh, early voting. We'll have that, but we'll cut down the number of hours a bunch of days so we can limit it as much as possible. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable what they are willing to go through to keep legal voters from being able to cast their vote, to make it harder for people. Uh, this is what, you know, really... Uh, irritates me, uh, and not just on a on a partisan level, because I think a lot of you know Democrats see some of these rulings, and like if it goes their way, they're cool with it. I'm not cool with it whenever anybody's uh, rights are taken away. All right, let's go to Ohio. We've got just a minute or two here left. Ohio, speaking of going back and forth and back and forth for years now. Uh, there has been this fight since 2004, since the disastrous election in 2004, when it was run by a, uh, uh, a, a Republican secretary of state named J. Kenneth Blackwell. He was replaced by a Democrat uh, named uh, Jennifer Brunner. She came in, did a big election reform, which allowed people to uh, start voting, uh, early voting, to ease the lines uh, on election night. We all re- recall, hopefully by now, you know, that the last vote was cast in the state of Ohio in 2004 at some 3 a.m. in the morning. 
uh, Wednesday morning because the lines were so bad. So they put in place early voting. Uh, and there was one week, the first week of early voting, which actually overlapped with the week of registration. And uh, it became known as Golden Week because you could go into the DMV or, or to the county headquarters, register to vote. And on that same day, also cast your vote in the election. It's been known as Golden Week and uh, it, it's gone back and forth. They keep fighting over this. Uh, the new Republican secretary of state uh, has fight has fought to get rid of it, and now uh, a federal court had said yes. They are now getting rid of Golden Week after it had been added and removed and added and removed. Now it's gone again. Well, it was the district court's ruling that uh, that struck down the the restrictions against Golden Week. It was just overturned by that ruling was overturned by the Sixth Circuit. I haven't read the actual decision as to why they did it. Uh, I'm troubled that they did. Uh, the plaintiffs have sought a stay from the Sixth Circuit, again, citing Purcell to keep Golden Week. Um, Rick Hassan doesn't think there's any chance that that'll be granted. Um, but uh, Mark Elias, who's, who's representing the plaintiffs, has promised that he's going to go straight to the Supreme Court for it. And it really comes back, you talked about those long lines, and it ties in with both a federal and state court brought in Arizona. If you remember during the primaries in Maricopa County, they had reduced, to give you an idea of the reduction, Maricopa County has 60% of Arizona's population. In 2008, it had 403 polling places. This last year, 2016, there are only 60 in Maricopa County, and you had people waiting up to five hours in line, and particularly mm -hmm. if you're talking about disabled people, that's near impossible. And uh, Mar Maricopa is about... Uh, I think six times greater population than Pima, and yet Pima has more than Pima County has more than double the amount. Uh, and the interesting thing in those cases, which is the same thing as going in, in Ohio, this whole thing with the long lines is a product of a, you know a series of things, but you know including the, the inadequate voting machines and that sort of thing. But um, the whole thing is voter suppression. If you if the lines are so long, people are not going to be able to vote, mm -hmm. and that's what's going on in Ohio. It's what been going on in Arizona. Maricopa is, you know, the high percentage of, of minorities there that tend to vote Democratic. And the interesting thing, you know, you mentioned the stuff with, with my representing Bernie. I know there were a number of Bernie people when those long lines occurred were trying to blame Hillary. The fact is that both the Clinton and the Sanders campaign both became party plaintiffs in this Arizona lawsuit, mm -hmm. and we're waiting for a ruling on a preliminary injunction over there uh, with respect to Maricopa well, County. I those restrictions were imposed by Republican officials, not by the, any Democrats. Right, because there's been a lot of Sanders supporters who have been claiming, oh, Hillary uh, tried to keep people from voting in uh, Maricopa. The evidence doesn't show that. And I should add uh, here, Ernie, that the uh, Republicans, or at least the uh, the Republican uh, election uh, director you cited in uh, Phoenix, in Maricopa County, has said uh, the reason, the ostensible reason, for good or bad, that she says she did this was uh, to go from a precinct-based voting system to what's called a voting center system. We're going to see this a lot more across the country. There's a push for it by Democrats out here in California. I'm very concerned about it. Basically, it reduces the number of polling places because, they say, supporters say, it will allow any voter to go to any uh, uh, voting center. You no longer have to vote at your own home precinct. And supposedly... 
Uh, somehow this makes it easier to vote. They don't need as many precincts. But we saw what happened uh, when they tried it out in the primaries this year in Maricopa County. We've seen it uh, be a disaster in years past when they first implemented it in Denver, for example. Um, so, yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah. As far as Maricopa County, by the way, the change that they made, particularly between uh, the 2012 election and yeah. the 2016 election, Maricopa was covered under Section 5. If the Supreme Court hadn't gutted yeah. Section 5, they would not have been able to make that reduction without getting preclearance from the Justice Department. Right, because they killed, the Supreme Court killed the Voting Rights Act, uh, nobody reviewed this. She was able to simply do it on her own in Maricopa, and the mess happened, and, uh, you know, that's the thing about elections. It's one day. You're done. You don't have you know, you don't get to screw up today and then have a do over tomorrow. Uh, you got to get it right the first time. You got to get it right on election night, I would add, when it comes to counting votes as well. All right. Lastly, uh, I, <laughs> I was going to say I got 30 seconds. Good luck answering this in 30 seconds, Ernie. But um, the uh, in Kansas, Chris Kobach. The Republican Secretary of State, he has been behind a lot of these laws around the country, making it harder for voters to vote, harder for uh, you know voters to even register to vote. He's implemented a, a, a proof of citizenship requirement in the state of Kansas. You have to not only register to vote, but you also have to come in with, you got to track down your citizenship documents, your citizenship papers. To be allowed to vote, that has uh, gone back and forth in the in the federal courts as well. We're now looking at some 50,000 otherwise eligible voters who may not be able to vote in the state of uh, of Kansas. Where where is that case uh, leaving us at this point as the Purcell clock is ticking? Well, on the I, I think Kobach uh, uh, is dead in the water on this one. Uh, the the as far as the federal elections uh he, he they've lost at every level including the u.s supreme court the, it's controlled by the national voter uh, uh registration act uh, mm -hmm. uh, which is a federal law um and what the in in may i believe it was the uh, district court issued a preliminary injunction preventing uh Kobach from uh applying that to uh, uh to state elections and local elections as well and uh, he sought a stay that was rejected by the uh, Tenth Circuit in June, and they just had oral arguments. And from what I read in an article you were kind enough to forward to me, it sounds like from oral arguments that uh, the uh, judges on the appellate panel took a dim view of Chris Kobach's arguments. The interesting thing is that Chris Kobach, in the cases that I've followed, personally has gone in and argued the cases as the attorney for mm. uh, Kansas. Even though he's just the Secretary of State, but he has well, yeah, been but given... Well, he is an attorney, yeah. so he, he's the one personally arguing each of these cases. Yeah, because they can't find anyone else who supports this nonsense that Kobach is putting forward. But in the meantime, uh, he, what he's been saying is, okay, if federal law requires me to uh, allow these people to vote, even though they haven't turned in citizenship papers, they can vote in federal races, but they can't vote in state races. And we're talking about tens of thousands of otherwise uh, legal eligible voters. Will those voters, are, are we at the point in the Purcell cycle musical chairs, will those voters be able to vote in state races, do we know, or only uh, in, in federal races in the state of Kansas? Based on the preliminary injunction, which I do not believe is going to be stayed, 
they will be able to vote. And one real quick point, uh, it's interesting whether you're talking about the non-existent thing of, of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, you know, non- in-person voter impersonation fraud right. or the non-existent thing of, of uh, uh, illegal non- aliens casting votes. Right, right. The people that are making the allegations are many times the same Republicans, which we covered in other uh, articles, mm-hmm. who are committing uh, uh, felony uh, mm-hmm. voter registration fraud. Yeah, and I would point people uh, to your article this week, uh, actually over the weekend, at uh, at bradblog.com concerning Steve Bannon, who's now the Trump campaign CEO, and uh, he is uh, being accused of uh, false residency registration fraud. And he joins a uh, an ignominious list from Mitt Romney to Ann Coulter to the Secretary of State of Indiana, the very first state to implement uh, photo ID voting restrictions. He was also found he was he was charged with uh, and convicted of uh, three felonies. The Secretary of State of Indiana, the top election uh, official in the state, was was uh, convicted of three felonies concerning voter and voter registration fraud himself after that law had been put in place. Uh, check out Ernie Canning's article on that at bradblog.com and the latest on the Seventh Circuit and whatever the hell else goes on uh, uh, between now and November 8th. I think you're going to be very busy for the next 70 days or so, Ernie. <laughs> Hopefully there won't be too many more changes between now and then. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, Except Wisconsin. I'd love to see a change there. Yeah, and that one doesn't look like it's going to happen. I think there's going to be a lot of court battles between now and then, and hopefully Ernie Canning will be on it. Uh, check out his work as ever at bradblog.com. Ernie, thanks for catching us up. We'll be doing it again soon, I suspect. My pleasure, Brad. You bet. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin. Traveling in the world of my creation, what we'll see will defy explanation. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That, of course, is Gene Wilder in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from 1971. You often hear him at the top of our broadcasts. He's the guy who says, you're going to love this, just love it, from Willy Wonka. Gene Wilder, an actor whose work with Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor made him one of the most popular stars of the 1970s, as AP describes. 
and whose memorable portrayals of neurotics and eccentrics included the hilariously mad scientist in Young Frankenstein, died today at his home in Stanford, Connecticut. He was 83 years old. A nephew confirmed the death in a statement that said the cause was complications from Alzheimer's disease. He had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma nearly two decades ago. He grew up in the Midwest, trained at the Old Vic in England, brought classical stage techniques to Brooks' outlandish humor. Uh, My job was to make him more subtle, Mr. Wilder once said about Mel Brooks. His job was to make me more broad. But sometimes Mr. Wilder brought important comic ideas to Brooks while filming Young Frankenstein in 1974, a tribute to the uh, uh, to Universal Studio horror films of the 1930s. Mr. Wilder, Mr. Wilder urged that he and Peter Boyle, who was playing the monster, uh, tap dance a duet to Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> that and was a it great is scene. <laughs> hilarious. Mel Brooks apparently objected to the musical number, but a test audience reacted with howls of laughter, and it stayed in. Of course they did. It was Uh, hilarious. It was. Brooks once uh, said that uh, he found Mr. Wilder, quote, a natural and every man with all the vulnerabilities showing. One day God said, let there be prey, and he created pigeons, rabbits, lambs, and Gene Wilder. (laughs) Uh, of course, you remember him from The Producers, Blazing Saddles, Willy Wonka, and The Chocolate Factory. Uh, and uh, oh, this was a kind of a, a funny comment. Uh, with Richard Pryor, uh, Wilder made uh, several buddy comedies that broke ground in their interracial uh, teaming. Remember that? Uh, yeah. Silver Streak, which I thought was hilarious it as a was. kid. Uh, and stir crazy. Uh, Mr. Wilder had pushed for casting Richard Pryor to deflect cries of racism in light of controversial material, such as the scene in Silver Streak in which Mr. Wilder applies shoe polish to his face and tries to act black. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe that's why we don't see that uh, Silver Streak very often. Uh, in 2005, Wilder told the London Independent that he and Pryor were never uh, socially close and he was not aware of the comedian's drug use of Richard Pryor's drug use. Quote, until he set fire to himself when he was freebasing, he said, then I knew. (laughs) So, (laughs) Well, yeah. uh, Also, by the way, they don't mention in the article, but if you haven't seen it, one of the funniest, I thought, uh, funniest Richard, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Gene Wilder films, The Frisco Kid with Harrison Ford. As oh, his wow. partner. Yeah, people, this doesn't uh, play a lot. Uh, uh, Wilder plays a Jewish rabbi who, well, of course, he's a Jewish rabbi. What is he, a Catholic rabbi? <laughs> yeah, he's a, a Jewish rabbi. He's a Polish rabbi who's uh, going across uh, the Old West. It's a, it's a Western. He goes across the Old West. He's going to a synagogue out in San Francisco with Harrison Ford as his sidekick. And uh, it's absolutely hilarious. And, of course, we should also note the very, Mm. very important work he did for women's health Mm. when he uh, became an advocate for early testing of ovarian cancer because of his wife, Gilda Radner, who died in 1991 from a misdiagnosed case of ovarian cancer and uh, very sad to have lost her. But he then turned that tragedy into some kind of help for other women, he said, to help other Gildas not Mm. go through what she went through. Gene Wilder, dead at 83, he will be missed. All right, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Ernie Canning of Bradblog.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it as ever for free at bradblog.com. And my thanks as ever to those who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep doing what we do. Thank you very much for that. 
Uh, you can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper.